0: Thank you for listening to the KBOO Evening News. This is Totality of Circumstances. I'm Sam Bowman, and this show was also produced by Jasmine Moneymaker. This is a monthly show focused on the changes to policing in Portland. Primarily, we're focusing on the transition to a new police oversight system and a new police oversight board that was approved by voters in November of 2020. Sharp-eared listeners might have caught that this was almost a year ago, and so far we've got a 20-member volunteer commission that was appointed by the city council in july tasked with formulating the new oversight board and they have not yet held a public meeting the board itself is expected to be operational by 2023 so even with a monthly half hour long show we are starved for meaningful content in that category So, in that vacuum we are focusing instead on the related topic of the city's new push for body-worn cameras for police. Speaking of glacial paces, the city's body cam policy has developed in fits and starts since 2015, when over $800,000 in city funds were allocated to the project. It lost steam and teeth during the 2016 collective bargaining process with the police union, and was revived in late 2018 when we first started attending public forums and comment sessions on the topic. The program died, again, in the June 2020 budget process, leaving Portland as the largest city in the country without body cameras for police. A number of far smaller Oregon cities have established body cam policies over the last decade, from Newport and Seaside over on the coast, to Beaverton and Hillsboro and the suburbs, to White City outside of Medford. In late July and August, the United States Department of Justice made it clear to the city of Portland that it should start a body cam program if it wants to get out from under a settlement agreement it has been in since 2014. But as we know from being part of the steadily dwindling attendance of the forums that were held on the body cam policy back in 2018 and 2019, there are a number of key concerns that create debate over such a policy. First, there's the shopping aspect of it. Uh, What brand do we get? What model? What features? How much is it going to cost? How many do we get? And then there are the policies that govern how they are used. When should a cop turn it on? When should a cop turn it off? How should a cop announce that a citizen is being video and audio recorded right now? There are also questions related to storage and use of footage. Where and how will footage be stored? Will it ultimately be managed by the company that made the tech, or by public officials? A huge question is when officers will be allowed to view footage. This gets to the heart of the accountability question. Are cops allowed to view the footage before they write their reports or after? And if after, What can we learn from the difference between the cop's memory and the video and audio evidence taken in the moment? And whether anybody likes the question or not, where do the labor rights and collective bargaining rights of police officers come into play? We hope to explore some of these questions in detail over the next few months, but today we're focusing on number one. Us. The public. What about our needs? What do we get? Specifically, will private citizens and journalists be able to request footage? when, for how much money, and if not, why not? In 2015, the Oregon legislature went a long way to answering that question when it passed a law mandating that certain criteria be met by localities establishing body camera programs. The law also made body cam footage subject to the state public records law, but also exempted footage from public disclosure, except when the release is shown to be in the public interest. This essentially means that while police departments have wide leeway to deny public records requests for footage, they must at least consider an appeal to the public interest and apply a legal test to the request. This was exemplified by a request out of Eugene made by reporter Ardashir Tabrizian, who was working on an investigative story for the University of Oregon's Catalyst Journalism Project. Tabrizian's story, A Hidden Death, was published in Eugene Weekly on July 22nd, and focused on the death of Landon Payne, a man who was in mental health crisis in March 2020 after relapsing on methamphetamine, having been clean for three years. His wife called the police, hoping to have him placed in a mental health hold. Instead, the police arrested him on a years-old warrant for a child support case, which only caused him to escalate further. During Payne's arrest, police refused to take him to the hospital, Sheriff's deputies at the Lane County Jail restrained him against the concrete floor with a knee to his back. This triggered cardiac arrest. The deputies revived him, but he died two days later in the hospital. When Tabrizian requested the body cam footage from the Eugene PD, he received a remarkable response that the Eugene police had a blanket policy against releasing body cam footage to the public. This prompted the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press to get involved, in the person of attorney Ellen Osanak, who sent a petition to the Lane County District Attorney Patty Perlow. Perlow demanded the release of the footage in August. Earlier this month, Jasmine and I spoke with Osanak and reporter Ardashir Tabrizian, who now works for the Salem Reporter. We spoke about the Landon Payne case, the Eugene PD's denial of body cam footage, and the successful petition for it, and what this all means for journalists and other Oregonians. So
1: this all started with an off-the-record conversation with someone who I can't name um, back in February of this, this year, and they basically told me that something tragic had happened at the Lane County Jail, and after some back and forth, I got them to tell me the person's name, and it was Landon Payne, and I looked at the Oregon online court system and saw a contempt of court case related to um, him failing to appear for a child support hearing in 2017. And so there was a document in there um, that was sealed. um, And there was another document that said that he had died. And the document that he was sealed, uh, that was sealed, had a note on there that mentioned a Eugene police incident investigation. And so that was sort of what caught my eye the first time and uh, I couldn't get that document because the court said it was confidential. Um, so we just started filing a lot of public records requests and it was sort of a waiting game for a couple of months. And then um, all these documents started coming in. We got the police reports. And essentially what had happened is that in March of 2020, Landon Payne's wife, and Landon Payne was, um, was a man living in Eugene. Um, his wife had called 911 to report that he had used meth and was having a mental health crisis. Um, And the way that Eugene police responded to that incident from the arrest itself to even after his death raised a lot of questions. And, um, you know, why did the officers arrest him on a three-year-old child support warrant when he's having a mental health crisis? Um, Why did they insist on booking him into jail instead of taking him to a hospital? And why did EPD tell Landon Payne's wife that he had collapsed at the jail uh, rather than the truth, which was that Lane County Sheriff's deputies... Uh, restrained him face down on the concrete floor of the jail uh, until he stopped breathing. And, um, you know, it's worth noting that there was no independent investigation into Landon Payne's death. Uh, EPD did its own investigation of the incident. And as part of that, um, they investigated the actions of Lane County Sheriff's deputies. And so pretty early on in reporting on this, we wanted to get all the records that we could to try to understand what happened here, including what happened on Uh, his porch that night because the accounts from his wife and from police officers uh, were not entirely in line. And so one of the things we requested under Oregon public records law is any and all video that was a part of their case investigation, including from body, uh, officers body cameras. And so that was the one record that I can recall that we just got a blanket denial from the Eugene
0: police department. Did they give any, um, like backup rationale for that blanket denial at the time?
1: Well, their first response was that they just do not provide body camera, period. Um, and we that's what we referred to as a blanket denial. But the city argued later on that they didn't actually mean to say that they never release body cam footage, um, just that those disclosures are extremely rare. Um, and in the petition, the quote they had is the city acknowledges its denial was, quote, unartfully phrased. Uh, giving the inaccurate impression that the city has a blanket policy.
2: And one of the reasons that we really wanted to talk to you both was because Portland is looking is very likely going to be having body worn cameras uh, on police officers in the next year or so. And uh, we're interested in this intersection between local policy that's often at the department level and state law that is, governs public access statewide to information. Ellen, you represented Eugene Weekly um, in as a petitioner in this—I don't know if "case" is the right word—and I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about um, the approach to the legal argument and. Uh, and
3: how it played out in practice? You know, I think in two words, it's body camera videos. They, you know, the the promise of body camera videos was that they would provide transparency and accountability. And because of that, uh, you know, hopefully build the public's trust in policing um, because they you know, the public would be able to have greater insight into the work that police do, uh, the challenges that they face and how they resolve those challenges. Um, But I think what the reporters committee has seen throughout the country is that that promise really has not come to fruition, that there are a number of obstacles, including agencies unwillingness to release the videos and um, also charging extraordinary fees in order to obtain the videos. Um, and so, you know, when Eugene Weekly and the University of Oregon's um, Catalyst Journalism Project, um, as well as Artie himself, um, they were obviously deeply committed to uncovering what had happened to Landon Payne. Um, and, you know, it was it was very clear that the answers that the public deserved in understanding how that tragic case had unfolded could only be. Um, those answers could only be found if the full disclosure of all of the video that uh, agencies had taken in that case was disclosed. Um, and so that's why we took on this case. Um, Oregon's public records laws around body camera video, uh, they're somewhat new, as you pointed out, Jasmine. And um, and police agencies in Oregon really haven't been challenged for failing to provide that um, those videos in responses to legitimate requests from reporters like Artie. Uh, and so it was important, uh, we thought, to take a stand um, in Mr. Payne's case in particular, and demand that Eugene live up to the promise of transparency that body cameras were intended to serve when Eugene adopted them.
2: And so how did this um, play out in terms of did you just file petitions and rebuttals? Or was there some conversation that went on between the two parties in, in this issue?
3: In general, um, you know the attorney general's manual for Oregon really is a helpful guide to requesters and folks seeking public records, and they strongly encourage requesters to, um, you know, talk to custodians of records about ways that you might narrow your request or what, in fact, the problems are. But in this case, uh, the city of Eugene had previously denied requests for body camera videos, and those denials had been upheld by uh, the district attorney. So it seemed fairly straightforward that when the city issued a blanket denial saying that in fact, they would not release any video, um, that it, it seemed obvious that the only way to challenge that particular you know, practice of theirs was going to be through a petition process. And so knowing that um, the the records were urgently needed to advance the reporting in the case, uh, we elected to simply file a petition with the district attorney, um, which is, you know, a completely acceptable process. It's something that's accessible to and is intended to be accessible to all Oregonians. Um, or any person requesting public records in the possession of Oregon agencies. And so um, we, you know, elected to take, um, to, to use the public records process to expedite um, the decision-making around uh, Eugene's refusal to release it. So what we did was we, um, uh, you know, already sent me the um, the denial. And it was a one sentence denial with no explanation. And, uh, and so we, you know, simply challenged the, the blanket denial. And then m- more importantly, explained uh, from our perspective, what the enormous public interest is in monitoring the police through the use of body camera videos. And that, you know, we felt like of all the uh, decisions um, that had come before the district attorney about body cameras. That this was a case um, that was so clearly in the public interest that um, we urged her to to release the the video.
2: I
0: believe it was on August twelfth that the district attorney Perlo uh, required the release of the footage. What what do you think is the significance of that uh, requirement? Do you do you think that it can be serve as precedent, either inside or outside of Lane County, or is it more of a one-off?
1: I think I could take this. Um, it's, it's significant on one front because it's the first time um, since Eugene adopted body cameras that the district attorney, Patty Perlow, has ordered uh, the release of video over the city's objection. Um, there were several previous petitions where Perlow upheld the city's decision to withhold video. Um, And the opinion from the DA's office is pretty thorough. Um, It doesn't mince words about, you know, the importance of body cameras, uh, disclosure for transparency and police accountability. Um, And that's important outside of Lane County, as other police departments like Portland, you mentioned, are deciding whether or not to adopt body cameras. And I think it's just a huge victory for the public in Lane County. It's obviously frustrating to have to get to this point at all. Um, But I'm just thrilled that uh, the district attorney made the right call here, and I think it does set a precedent for journalists in Lane County to be able to get access to public records in the interest of police transparency, and I certainly hope that it does um, set a precedent throughout the state and elsewhere uh, for police transparency and so that um, law enforcement agencies can be held accountable, um, just like everybody else.
2: One of the requests as part of the petition was that the records be released uh, free of cost, and that was a place where there was a little bit of disagreement. You didn't quite get what you want, Um, and obviously a big concern around that is that the cost can be a barrier to, can function as a barrier to actually getting the information. Um, Artie, I'm wondering if you have gotten uh, any information about what fees would be associated with the release of this footage?
1: Yeah, I don't have the exact dollar amount in mind. I can tell I can find that out for you. But the only real update I have is that we have paid um, for the body camera video. They gave us a few different options for video. Um, we paid for a couple of them, and it's up to EPD now to provide the records.
3: One of the things I would add is that you know one of the lessons from this case, I think, is that different law enforcement agencies. Um, can come to wildly different conclusions about whether the law requires them to release body camera video and so, or video generally. And so this case was a pretty good example of how the county, when Eugene Weekly sought records of their videos, they promptly disclosed those videos without cost, Uh, you know, apparently recognizing the enormous public interest in the death of somebody who was in their custody and the city of eugene and the eugene police department uh did exactly the opposite they withheld the videos they did not disclose them until ordered by the district attorney and now they are charging hundreds of dollars in fees and that's a problem
1: yeah i just found it and i lost it again hold on it was um, it was, and this was just a, you know, a partial payment for some of the video um, from a couple of the cameras. It is $626.42. I believe that is the right number.
0: So it, it, it's good that you're working for an organization, then. It sounds
1: right, like. yeah. We're lucky enough to have um, the Catalyst Journalism Project behind us, and they have the funding to, you know, at, at least pay for these to some degree.
0: I mean, obviously, um, not outrageous fees, but either positive or negative, what are some lessons that you think journalists and members of the public in Oregon can learn from this uh, case, whether related to state law or strategies for requesting things like this?
1: Well, for journalists, I would say first off, um, I mean, Ellen just touched on this, but there are attorneys like Ellen and the folks at um, Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press who are available and willing to help um, You know, give journalists valuable legal help Um, I can truly say none of this was possible without Ellen. So other journalists should take note of that. Um, And um, I would also say, know the public records law in your state. Um, Ellen mentioned the attorney general's manual, you know, government agencies and other institutions will sometimes say that they can't release records. And um, it's often just not the case. And either they don't know that or they hope that you don't. So know the law so that you don't have to take their word for it. Always, I would say.
3: Yeah, and I would say, you know, if you find yourself in a records dispute, particularly around body camera videos, just remember to focus on the public interest that justified the adoption of body cameras in the first place, and that is transparency and accountability. And the Eugene Police Department, many, if not most police departments, have adopted the 21st century model of policing, and one of its pillars is transparency. And so I think there is widespread acceptance, both in law enforcement um, and certainly the general public, that that body cameras are an important piece of, of accountability for police agencies. But that promise cannot be fulfilled when agencies do not release these videos when they are so clearly in the public interest. And, you know, I cannot um, speak highly enough about the persistence of Eugene Weekly, of Artie, of the U of O's um, Catalyst Project. They just did not give up on this case no matter what barriers they encountered um, in the public records context, and while I know you know journalists and news organizations, you all are are you know have so many challenges. Um, so telling a journalist you know don't give up is uh, you know sometimes I feel like is is not is a little bit mean to say because you all have so much work, but um, but there are cases, particularly around body cameras, where I think that that extra effort is worth it to just not give up. And when you're speaking to law enforcement agencies or the district attorney's office, if you choose to file a petition, that's something you don't need to have an attorney to do. And when you're speaking to those folks, just remind them that 21st century policing is about transparency and accountability. And that's what body cameras can promote. And when you ask for those records and they're denied, the agency really needs to have a very good reason for withholding them. Um, And in cases where somebody um, has um, suffered the kind of consequences that uh, Landon Payne and his family did uh, for interacting with the police, it's so, so important for the public to understand and have firsthand accounts from body cameras of what happened.
2: If the district attorney had come to a different decision on this petition and decided not to release the footage, what would have been your recourse in that case?
3: If the district attorney had denied the petition, uh, the next step would have been to file a lawsuit in um, circuit court, in Oregon circuit court, and have a court um review the matter fresh with fresh eyes it's the decision of the district attorney isn't entitled to any legal weight in in the new lawsuit but that's the process if you're if the district attorney had come to a different um decision and denied our petition uh, the next step would have been to file a lawsuit and ask a a circuit court judge um, to determine whether or not the public interest justified disclosure and uh, in that, you know, I'd also really like to give a huge shout out to the ACLU of Oregon, because uh, several years ago, they litigated a case all the way to the Supreme Court of Oregon in exactly that fashion, Jasmine. They were denied um, a petition for certain records by the district attorney, and they appealed that case, and that was a Lane County case. They appealed that way all the, to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court of Oregon said there is a clear public interest in um, in monitoring the conduct of police, uh, particularly when they use force, and so um, you know uh, it's important to have organizations that you know are pursuing that kind of litigation, so that we have these clear statements of, of what the public interest is in Oregon, and then you know you have to get agencies to accept and follow it. But um, but that would have been the next step.
0: You mentioned that the reporters' committee has uh, thought stuff like this across the country. Um, and this may be a little loosey goosey, but uh, how, how would you say that Oregon measures up um, amongst that kind of type of case?
3: Just to give you a, a perspective, so the Reporters Committee, um, part of why I'm here in Oregon and, um, and doing this work is because the Knight Foundation felt that, you know, local journalism really needed a legal boost. And so they um, asked the reporters committee to station five attorneys in five different um, uh, five different states. And so Oregon, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Colorado all have what are called local legal initiative attorneys. And I'm the local legal initiative attorney for Oregon, so I do have a perspective about. Uh, local litigation, particularly in those five states. And what I can tell you is that, you know, all five of us started uh, just about a year ago, and we all have a body camera video case. Uh, so in Tennessee, they refused to release uh, the body camera video and the process there is that um, they had to file a lawsuit. In Oregon, Eugene refused to release body camera video and the process for challenging that is um, via a petition to the district attorney. In Pennsylvania, they have a right to know law uh, and an agency there withheld uh, the video and um, and. In that case, uh, the Pennsylvania law doesn't even uh, allow for agencies to charge fees. Um, And so, uh, you know, I would say the the laws in each state are are quite different in the way both that the agency is directed to make the decision about whether or not to release video and then whether or not they can charge fees and so it's it's a little bit difficult to do an apples to apples comparison but i think probably the fairest statement is that despite you know the international association of chiefs of police supporting uh, body camera videos and their use, uh, many police unions supporting body camera, and of course, many police accountability uh, organizations supporting the adoption of body camera videos as a promise that transparency and accountability for police would be improved and thus the public trust would be improved. I think the experience of the local legal initiative attorneys um, is that that promise really has not been fulfilled despite states having having differing um, standards for when they might release that video. Um, So overall, I think the promise of body camera video is, has not been fulfilled, but I have a lot of faith that with the continued efforts of attorneys and journalists working together and um, to to challenge decisions to uh, withhold those videos that um, we might yet see that promise fulfilled.
0: Do either of you uh, have anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up?
3: Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add is that um, just to circle back Jasmine to your initial point about um, you know, as, as cities like Portland consider adopting body cameras, um, and as I'm sure both of you know, you know, the, the city of Portland is currently in a lawsuit with the United States Department of Justice, and the adoption of body cameras has been an issue since the beginning of that, um, you know, of the, of the federal government of DOJ overseeing the Portland Police Bureau. And um and while those discussions are underway and there are important considerations about privacy, once a policy is adopted, if, if it is, um I think it's it's so important for the city to focus on how they intend to provide body camera records to the public. They don't have to charge for those. If they determine that these that there are certain records and as you and Artie both pointed out, the issue of folks who are in mental health crisis and the way that um, the, the system, including police responds to them is, and has been an issue of extreme importance in the city of Portland. And so as they consider adopting body cameras as a potential remedy, I think they really need to think about how they can make those records accessible to the public and charging exorbitant fees in order to comply with the facial blurring requirements um, is really a disservice to transparency.
0: We've been speaking with Artashir Tabrisian of the Salem Reporter and Ellen Osinok of the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. Thank you both for talking with us today.
1: Thank you for having us.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
0: This has been Totality of Circumstances. This show and a full version of that interview, which is about a half hour long, will be available on the Totality of Circumstances show page at KBOO.fm. On behalf of Jasmine Moneymaker, I'm Sam Bowman. We'll catch you next month right here on KBOO Portland 90.7 FM, your community radio station.